to get closer to Jesus Christ. What a great service so far. I'll do my best not to ruin it. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, go to Joshua chapter 10. We've been preaching through the book of Joshua. It's been a help to me, and I hope it's been a help to you. Joshua chapter 10. I've read the Bible a number of times, and I don't say that as if to brag or boast. Lord knows I should have read it more. But uh, I'm learning so much more this time through, just slowing it down. When you find Joshua chapter 10, would you stand? Joshua chapter 10. I'll read the first 14 verses, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Now the Bible says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, said unto Horam, I'm sorry, Hoham, however you say it, Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto, Je Je yeah, that fellow there, king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me, and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and, the children, and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, uh, and went up they and all their hosts and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell on the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Therefore, I'm sorry, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel. That just means he destroyed them. And slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horn and smote them to Ezekah and unto Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horn that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekah, and they died. There were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. That's the coolest verse in the Bible. <laughs> I can just see it. Because there's a bunch, like, like 600,000 warriors, and they're hacking people to death. And I don't want to preach ahead of myself, but it's like the Lord's up there like, all right, Michael, you know, fastball, you know, whap. <laughs> Anyways, verse 12. <clears throat> then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. 
That's an extra 12 hours that sun was bright as could be. That's amazing, isn't it? Verse 14, And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. What a great passage of Scripture in the Bible today. And uh, before we get into it, Brother Dave, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now last week we spent some considerable time preaching about the enemy in chapter number 9. Amen. And you and I, we have an enemy. There's no doubt about it. And he's not your friend. And the Bible says about our adversary, the devil, he walketh the mount as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I know most of us, uh, we don't have a high, mighty of opinion of ourselves. We don't think, well, you know, the devil's not after me. He's after you. He's after you. And what he wants to do is he wants to get you from serving the Lord. And he wants you to quit. And he wants you to just say, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the hassle to keep living for God. It's not worth the hassle to keep going on. That's what the enemy does. And we preached through the text last week how the enemy's approach. It's pretty an interesting approach and how uh, just like Gibeon, the enemy's approach is one that flatters you. It's one that appeals to your feelings. And then uh, the enemy is fixated on making a great deal with you. Of course, they feign submission. And then they fail to outright identify themselves. They desire to feed you. And ultimately, they fool you. Not trying to re-preach the message, but trying to remind you of where we were and where we're at now. You see, what has happened is Gibeon has made peace with Israel. And uh, they fooled Israel. They weren't supposed to make peace with any of the, uh, the inhabitants of the land. But uh, in type, uh, this week, the enemy has made peace with Joshua. And in type, when you got saved, you were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So someone who might be here today or in this community that is not saved, the Bible said there is no peace to the wicked. There's no peace. And you know the trite saying, it's a good saying, which says no peace, no God. But if you know K-N-O-W peace, then you will know God. So forth and so on. So in type only, it's like us. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were finally reconciled to God. I'm thankful today that I was reconciled to God April 24th, 1983. I'm glad that I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you do too, if you're saved. And just like Gibeon, Gibeon made peace with Joshua. And there's the typology we'll look at just for a minute here. But our preaching can go a couple different directions this morning. One direction it could go is that when you make peace with the world... You end up getting dragged into trouble in battles that you never should have had to fight in the first place. 
You see, because we're looking at this passage here, and Gibeon's made peace with Joshua. They shouldn't have done it. Amen? And that's just like the world. You make peace with the world, you end up getting dragged into war. You end up getting dragged into things that you should never have to fight, but you're the one that made peace with this world. Amen? We're doing all right this morning. Just trying to delineate out kind of a couple directions this could go. Or the other direction, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're now reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and now you will have new troubles knocking on your door that you never had before. So that's the direction we'll go there. And in the text, Gibeon, as we know, has made peace with Israel. I want you to watch. This is all by way of introduction this morning. The the message will go kind of quick. I want you to watch what the Holy Spirit teaches us through the text. Through the text. The first thing is, I want you to notice in verses 3 to 4, that the lost world hates any friend of Joshua. I want you to remember that this lost world hates any friend of Joshua. The Bible says in verse 4, they end up making war against Gibeon. Now, Gibeon was their friend. Gibeon was their pal. Gibeon was their buddy. A mighty man. They're all ites, right? The ites, I-T-E-S, that group of people God said go in and wipe out. But since now they have been reconciled to Joshua, Acts chapter 7, verse 45, Joshua is a type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's our picture for today. We talk about Joshua. It's a great type and picture of Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember that the lost world hates any friend of Joshua, a.k.a. Jesus Christ. Remember this in John chapter 15, verse 18, as we roll this out. The Bible says, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. I don't know about you, but I really don't like to be hated. There's something inwardly gratifying if I know that everybody likes me. But I know that's not the truth. Amen? I mean, there's brothers and sisters in Christ that don't like you. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just kind of how we are. It's kind of how we roll. You can say, well, everybody likes me. (laughs) Whatever. But you know what I'm saying? There's something inwardly that's kind of like why most of us don't try to starve ourselves to death or kill ourselves. The Bible said, no man yet ever hated his own flesh. But you know what the Lord said? The world hates you, hated me first. I'm trying to reiterate something that I believe deep down inside you already know. That the lost world hates any friend of Joshua. Now you find that in verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but this lost world, can I say this as a child of God, this lost world will fight you even if you're not fighting them. Look at uh, verse number 5. Notice it's talking about Gibeon now. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites come to the end of the chapter and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Let me ask you this question. Was Gibeon fighting against all those weird king names? Sure weren't, were they? Were they aggressive towards them? The Bible didn't say they were. You say, what were they? They were neutral towards them. All they did was made friends with Joshua. 
And you see that? I'm telling you, I'm taking a spiritual application and put it on a historical context here that tell you what, if you become Joshua's friend, you become the friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust him as your savior, this world will hate you. And even if you are as a Christian, you go out into this world and say, you know what, I'm not going to stand up for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to proclaim his name. I'm not going to live for him. I'm not going to fight for him. The world is still going to fight against you simply because you made peace with him. I want you to think about that this morning by way of introduction. You see, the world expects you to love it. You say, where do you get that? First John chapter 2, verse 15, 16, 17, where the Bible says, love not the world. You are told to love not the world because, not because the Lord says, I want to give them some things that make them angry at me. Right? Like your kids think. When you give your kids, don't do that. Don't do, oh, you just don't want me to have any fun. No, I don't want you to bust your hand. I don't want you to break your neck. I don't want you to, you, right? You, but God did not say, love not the world, just to be like, oh, you just want to be mean to us. The reason he said that is because the world expects you to love it. Not only that, the world expects you to love it, the world expects you to conform to it. That's a general expectation. Right, when you go to the workplace, there are general expectations that you will show up when you're supposed to show up. I know that's a tough one these days, but still, it is a general expectation. Not only that, but you say, how do you know that the world wants you to conform to it? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, the world wants you to love it. The world expects you to love it. The world expects you to conform to it. And how about this? The world hates the other side. You say, oh no, they expect me, they accept me, and they respect me. In your wildest dreams, buddy, the world hates the other side. And in this day and age, in 2023, we need to go over this ground again to remind the child of God that any friend of Joshua is an enemy of the world. That verse we have here for hatred of the other side is, uh, look at John chapter 15, verse 19. John chapter 15, verse 19. Now, I know most of you know this, but man, I'm telling you what, if there's a day and age where you need to be reminded as a Christian how much the world hates your guts, it's today. Because the temptation is just to get along. I'm going to say it again. The temptation in this world is just to go through life and be a good little boy or a good little girl and just pursue my wants and pursue my desires and I won't bother anybody and I won't say anything that offends anybody and I'm going to be all right. It's not how it works. You're going to get in trouble one way or the other. Amen? John chapter 15, look at verse 19. The Bible says this. The Bible says, If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world mm, hateth you. Are you a child of God this morning? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And the world hates your guts because of it. They might not understand that they do, but I believe the King James Bible, and the Bible says the world hateth you. The world 
hateth you. This world is not your home. This world is not your friend. This world is ruled by the devil himself because the devil is an imposter on the throne. Jesus Christ is that king in exile just like David was who's coming back one day to rightfully claim what is his. I'm just trying to remind you that the lost world will fight you even if you're not fighting against them. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Marvel not. There it is again. See that? Marvel not. Marvel not, brethren, my brethren, if the world hate you. So Gibeon wasn't fighting others. They simply made a peace with Israel. And we saw that last week in chapter 9, verse 15. And aren't you glad as a Christian you have peace with God? That's why you can go through some of the most difficult things you go through as a Christian right now and put your head on the pillow and fall asleep. The Lord giveth his beloved sleep. You say, well, you don't know me. You don't know my problem. Ah, no, I get it. I'm up every couple hours every now and then, so forth and so on. Eat, you know, take melatonin like, you know, gummy worms and that stuff. I get it, amen. But you have peace with God. You made peace with Joshua along the way. And guess what? This is you in this passage. You put yourself in the place of Gibeon, and now this whole world's against you. You know, that's exactly what the, uh, what the uh, archbishop told old Martin Luther back in the 1500s. said, Martin, the whole world's against you. He said, well, then I'm against the world. That should be the attitude of the Christian. But unfortunately for many of us, and including your preacher, many times it's not. Many times my attitude, the world's against me. Well, lock the door real tight. We'll just seal them right out. Don't you ever feel that way? Get sick and tired of dealing with the world? Every time you go out, it's like the Holy Spirit puts pressure on you to be a testimony, doesn't he? I don't know about you, but it irritates me sometimes. You say, oh, how unspiritual. Tell me all about it. I'm, I guarantee I ain't the only one that ain't very spiritual some days. But that's the pressure of this world. You realize there's pressures from two places. There's pressure from the world, and there's the right type of pressure I press toward the mark for the prize for the hall calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see that? There's pressure on you from this world, and there's a right pressure on you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this lost world will fight against you even if you're not willing to fight against that. So a lot of Christians think they're just going to come through here. A lot of Christians think they're just going to lay low. It don't happen that way. One fellow said to a guy who had been working at the shop down in Detroit for a long time, I might have told this before, and He'd been working there about 12 years, and he finally came up to this other guy who was reading his Bible at lunchtime. He says, I'm a Christian too. He's like, oh, really? He says, yeah. He said, I've been here 12 years, and no one's ever figured it out. <laughs> That's how we live our life some days, isn't it? You say, well, I tell them I go to church. Well, lost people go to church. Lost people go to the moose lodge, the elks, the bucks, the buzzards, and the bats, and the frogs, and all that stuff. But the lost world will fight against you even if you're not going to fight against them. I don't think that's very fair to you. I really don't. Now, don't you ever once in a while just think it'd be nice just to go ahead and just live your life and not get, you know, have pressure and troubles? And just, I don't think it's very fair. So what I'm trying to say this morning when it comes to Jesus Christ, Christian, still in introductory mode here, there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. Many Christians are saved, but when it comes to speaking up for Jesus Christ or being a testimony, they have unfortunately decided to lay low and quiet, quietly let God's grace slip them on into glory. <laughs> That's not how it works. 
Christians often think the world can't possibly have anything against me. I'm not rocking the boat. I'm not making any waves. Have you ever thought that? You ever thought that fact that nobody at my workplace has anything against me because, you know, I don't shove stuff down their throat? Isn't that funny how the world makes us say that? Isn't that funny how if you have the, if you have the fire insurance and everyone's house is on fire, if this is your house, and if they're lost, everyone's house is on fire, and here you are, you have life, you have fire insurance, it's free, and you tell someone, I've got free fire insurance, they're like, quit shoving it down my throat. You're like, okay, fine, go to hell, I don't care. But the world makes you think that if you tell them about Jesus Christ or you speak up for the Lord, then that means you're pushing it down their throat. No, I think I'm trying to help you put the fire out. I think I'm trying to warn you. I think I'm looking at you like you're a soul instead of a person. You've got to start seeing people as people with the soul instead of idiots that are in your way to progress. <laughs> Amen. I'm trying to tell you there is no neutrality towards Jesus Christ. One preacher said neutrality towards Jesus Christ puts you on the devil's side. Christians often think I'm not rocking the boat, I'm not making any waves, so uh, I must not be in any danger. And that's You cannot straddle the fence this morning. I want to get you just a little bit uncomfortable. You cannot straddle the fence. One old timer said the man who straddles the fence is in trouble when he hits the fence post. And watch out for the slivers. But all joking aside, you can't be neutral towards Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, concerning this very thing, he said, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So Christian is like this. I didn't try to get you unsaved by saying that. I'm not giving that to you in a doctrinal manner. I'm giving that text to you in a practical application. You're either on the fence or you're off it. There's no middle ground. You said that makes it a difficult introductory statement. It does. It makes it very difficult. Because there are some days where you don't even want to be a Christian. Oh, no, me, preacher. I want to be a Christian every day. <laughs> sure you do. But you're either on the fence or you're off it. You're either on one side or the other. There's no neutrality. You know, if you try to take up both sides, it'd be like this fellow back in the Civil War. He didn't want to fight the war to begin with. Don't blame him. But he wasn't totally against the Union because he thought some of the policies were okay, but he wasn't totally against the Confederacy because, after all, what in the world are these northern birds marching into my backyard shooting it up for? I mean, you come into my backyard, I don't care how saved and born again you are, I am, I mean, to start shooting my house up, I'm probably going to return to Bali. Why? I'm a man. And I like guns. <laughs> okay, back to the illustration here. And he didn't want to fight in the Civil War, so he said, I'd do what I'll do, I'll do this. I'll wear a Union jacket, and I'll wear Confederate pants. He's like, then they'll all be confused. They found him dead lying on the battlefield. And they had Confederate bullets all in that Union jacket, and they had Union bullets all in them Confederate pants. You see what happened? You can't serve both sides, because then you get it from both sides. That's what I'm trying to get across this morning. Listen, you and I are going to go home to glory eventually one day, some sooner than the others, and I'm telling you what, I'd rather have all the bullets come from the enemy instead of those that I made peace with through God. You see, when you and I got saved, we made peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But let me tell you what, if you try to turn around and serve the world, you're going to get it from the Lord. And if you try to serve the Lord, you're going to get it from the world. I'd rather just get it from the world than get it from both. You ever wonder why some Christians are the most miserable individuals you ever met? I'm, being, I'm, I'm not preaching, I'm telling the truth right now. Amen? I worked with some individuals, and they were the most cantankerous, the most vulgar, the most vile people I ever met. You know what I learned after a while? They're Baptists. You say, why? They decided not to serve the world, and they decided not to serve the Lord, and both sides got them. The most cantankerous individuals I ever met are getting bullets in their backside from both sides. Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Listen, it's hard enough in this Christian life, isn't it? I'd rather just get, and the Lord knows my heart when I'm trying to preach this, I'd rather just get hit from the enemy than from both sides. You can't be neutral towards Jesus Christ. You have to make up your mind. But once you make up your mind, and here's where we're going in the message today, once you make up your mind, man, the world's coming after you, ain't it? And it's coming like a rain that never ends. And you're going to need some help, aren't you? I'd like to preach just for a little bit of time this morning about getting some help from Joshua. See, you can't be neutral towards Jesus Christ. You can't just say, whew, got a fire. The interesting thing about your salvation, and this is the best way to say it, is when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only did you get delivered from the penalty of sin and death and hell, but then the Lord turned right around and gave you your life back to you. And you know what he said? Do what you want with it. You see, the Lord is not making you serve him. The Lord did not make you come to church today. And I sure didn't make you come to church today. You're like, you tell me to come, I'll stay home. But the Lord saves you. You're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through the shed blood, through the death of His Son. He saves you, He justifies you, He redeems you, and He goes, here's your life. That's why the hymn writer said, take my life and let it be. You know why? Because God gave you your life back to you to do with what you want. I'm not this kind of guy that's going to sit here and put you in the box. I can give you the warnings. I can show you where the detours are, where the potholes might be, where the enemies are sniping. But God gave you your life, and he gave it back to you to do what you want with it. But let me tell you what, when you make that decision, you draw the line in the sand and say, you know what, I love you, thank you for saving me, for dying for me, and I'm going after Jesus Christ, you literally declare war on this world. And the world's coming after you. You see in verse 4, 5, and 6. So you're going to need some help this morning. I'd like to see if we could get some help from Joshua this morning. Try to preach just a little bit about that. You're going to need Joshua's help to stand against the world or you're not going to make it. Now look, we're all going to make it to glory when we die. But I want to go out right. Now look, I look at Jacob in the Old Testament and he was a trickster. He was a a conniver, he was slick, he was a smooth man. Remember his brother was hairy, like Chewbacca or something like that? He was a smooth man, you know, he was a, the supplanter, the trickster, the conniver. Nobody's saying amen, I can relate to that. Can any of y'all relate to Jacob this morning? 
But you know what Jacob does? He had a bunch of false starts and he messed it up real good. I mean, real bad rather in his life. But you know what he did? He went out right. He went out serving God. And you find that in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 or 11 it was. He's worshiping God in the bed as an old man. That's what I want to be. If I make it to be an old man, I want to go out worshiping God. But you're going to need some help to do it. And you're going to have to get some help from Joshua this morning. Let me show you this here, number one. When you ask for help, can I just remind you this morning, Christian, that Joshua always comes through. Joshua always comes through. The Bible says in verse 9, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. All they did, if you look at verse 6, here's what they said. Slack not, this is Gibeon, right? Slack not thine hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. Haven't you ever just got alone with the Lord some days or in the car spitting all over the windshield, amen, however you do it, and say, God, I need some help. I need some help to get through this thing. I need some help because I can't do it on my own, and I've tried everyone. I've even phoned a friend. That don't even work. I need some help. Save me from this thing. But let me tell you what, every time you ask Joshua, that's Jesus, by the way, Acts chapter 7, verse 45. Every time you ask the Lord, he comes through every time, don't you? He does. And you see that right in the text. He comes right through. Notice that Joshua's help in verse 9, it's sudden. That Bible says in verse 9, he come up suddenly. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? To get help in time of need. You don't always need help. But let me tell you what, when you need help, you need help. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, one of the biggest tests of your prayer life is when you really need help. Because <laughs> if you ain't been praying, I know it's not good grammar, but if you have not been praying, guess what? It's really, really hard to pray. But I'm telling you what, whenever you ask Joshua for help, he always comes through. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I can't help but think of that song, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away. But Jesus never fails. I tell you what, it was sudden, just like that. It sure is nice when the Lord shows up on a stormy day and just drives all the clouds back. Oh, it sure is nice, isn't it? I'm telling you here today, if you ask Joshua for help, he always comes through. And you see that right in the text. Not only was his help sudden, not only was his help sudden, but his, Joshua's help is serious. It's a serious. Can I tell you that when you talk to the Lord, He takes it seriously. In verse 9, notice this. You say, how do you say it's serious? Well, Joshua's coming up all night. That's pretty serious. You ever stop and think that while you're sleeping, God's fixing things for you? I want you to think about that just for a New York minute. When you finally get all frustrated and you crash out with exhaustion and you're like, Okay, and your hands are finally off at the only time you stop trying to fix things in your life and you finally conk out and go to sleep. The Lord's like, oh, fine, finally went to sleep. Now I can do something. And here comes Joshua all night long. His help's sudden. His help is serious. Let me tell you what. Anything that requires me to be up all night long, that's pretty serious. <laughs> My mama used to say, if it's dark out, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Amen. <laughs> In other words, you should be in bed. But Joshua's help is sudden. It's serious. And notice this in verse 10. Joshua's help is just sufficient. It's sufficient. 
Bible says in verse 10, And the Lord discomfited them before Israel. I want you to think about this. To get help, you know what the Gibeonites had to do? Just simply had to ask. You say, okay, preacher. You notice that, that when he, they asked Joshua for help, not only did he come through, it was sudden, serious, and now sufficient, but Joshua didn't say, I'll tell you what, you put on a shirt and tie, and you clean up the way you're living, and I'll come help you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and you get involved in this program and that program, and you go ahead and make sure you're reading about 10 chapters a day. Don't take it the wrong way. You know what I believe about all that. But he didn't say you had to do this. He didn't give you a list of do's and don'ts. They asked for help, and here came Joshua. You say, why? Joshua had made peace with Gibeon. Gibeon made peace with Joshua. And Joshua, Jesus Christ, is a man of his word. And Joshua had a responsibility to take care of his own. And let me tell you what, Jesus will take care of his own. He didn't have to give you a list of do's and don'ts. He just simply asked. He simply said, help me out. I need help. You know what they had to simply do? Stay where they're at. Stay where they're at. You know what Gibeon had to realize? Gibeon had to come to the end of themselves and realize that they couldn't do it on their own. Do you know why some Christians, maybe, maybe you're one of the Christians today, I have no idea, I am not the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know why some Christians don't get the help that they need? Because you think you can do it yourself and you can't. You can't make it on your own. You've got to have Joshua's help. So what do I got to do? You got to ask him for it. You got to be willing to stay where you're at long enough to let him come to you and help you. That old hymn writer? He came to me. He came to me when I could not come to where you are. That's what he's got to do. That's Joshua. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. His help is sufficient. All you need is the help of the Lord Jesus Christ with this world, empower you with this Holy Spirit to reassure you that everything is going to be okay. And we're in the last days, and you know what we need to be? We need to be reassured that things are going to be okay. We're a generation that is scared. We're a generation that is afraid, but we talk big. We're macho men. Amen, I like macho stuff. But when it gets down to it, if I'm like half asleep and I hear a noise, I get that sweat that goes right down, you know, the back, your hair in the back of your neck stands up. I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be Rambo. I'm scared to death. I'm like, honey, go check the door. <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter if I got a shotgun in the house or not. You know, and I'm half asleep, I probably blow my fool head off. <laughs> but we're a scared generation. We need reassurance that the Lord is going to do what he already said he would in his word. His help is sufficient. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. Can I give you number two here? When you ask for help, deliverance is promised and fear should be put away. When you ask for help, deliverance is promised and fear should be put away. In verse 8, you see what the Lord says to Joshua. He says, fear them not, for I've delivered them into thine hand. Now, interesting enough, we know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, talking about Jesus Christ who delivered us from so great a death, 
That's your past. That's the flames of hell when you got saved. And doth deliver us. That's present. That's your daily deliverance through temptation and over sin and trials and troubles. The Bible says, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's when we get our new body. That's when we get out of this world. He's delivered us in the past. He's delivering us day by day and with each passing moment. He's delivering us right now in the present. And one day, when the portals of glory open, he'll deliver us through there. I'm telling you, deliverance is promised. Deliverance is promised. You've got to get a hold of that. The reason we fail in the Christian life is because we don't take the deliverance that's been given to us on a daily basis. Not only that, but in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and of our Father. Isn't that something? The reason he died on Calvary's cross was not just so we could have eternal life, but I'm glad we do. Amen? We often forget this part of Calvary that one of the many reasons that Christ died on the cross was not only to save us from our sins, amen, and to deliver us from the penalty of sin and death and hell, but it was to deliver us from this present evil world. Because if Christ wouldn't have come and died for our sins, there would be no way we could have a daily deliverance from sin. Christ died on Calvary's cross. He was whipped. He shed his blood. He was beaten so you and I could have a victorious Christian life. Not just save us from hell, but thank God for it. But so he can deliver us right now, right here, right where we sit. But you know what? That stuff scares us. It's fear. Fear should be put away. Deliverance has been promised. It's, I don't know what part it is. It's, it's just you can't touch it. You can't. It's the fear of the unknown. We get so scared about these things sometimes. You say, I don't know, preacher. I don't know if you call it. It's okay, we can call it unbelief. I'm just trying to be nice. We're scared. The reason we're at in our Christian life many times is because that's where we want to be. There is fear about moving any closer to the Lord. There is fear about moving closer in fellowship and spending more time with Him. Fear is a devastating thing. Back in the old days of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev was responsible for murdering millions. And he was up in a town hall giving a speech about being the premier of the Soviet Union. And he was up and he was actually... He's actually criticizing the policies of his predecessor, Joseph Stalin. And he said that he disagreed staunchly with Joseph St- uh, uh, Comrade Stalin's uh, policies on here and the cost of lives of many of our comrades. And from the back of the room, one fellow said, Hey, you were part of his team. You were one of his colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? And he roared, Who said that? And an agonizing silence filled the room. And he said, and now you'll know why. Fear. Why we don't do what we should for the Lord many times. Fear. I'm telling you, deliverance has been promised. We should therefore put the fear away. You see that right in the text. He said, I've delivered it into your hands. You've been promised deliverance, Christian, in the Christian life. Now let me show you this here. Number three, when you ask for help, if you allow me the liberty, 
There's always a rock upon which you can stand. There's always a rock. This might be a little bit of a play on words here, according to the text. Look at uh, in, in the text here with me. Look at verse 11. Uh, uh, Joshua chapter 10, verse 11. Joshua chapter 10, verse 11. You see what's happening. The children of Israel are just chasing them like a bunch of bees chasing a single fellow here. And uh, they're slicing and dicing like Ginsu and all that stuff and chopping them up and beating them and all that stuff. But look what it says here in verse 11. The Bible says that it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were go going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekiel and they died. And there were more which died with the hailstones and they, uh, the children of Israel, slew with the sword. Now this might just be a little bit play on words and get you to smile a little bit. But when you trust the Lord, you ask for help, he'll always give you a rock to stand on. Uh, he might be right up in the third heaven going, all right, just, all right, Michael, just get it right above Biggin's head there. Wah! And there you go. You stand on that rock. I'm going to ask the Lord to show me that battle scene. Amen? I mean, that is the coolest thing in the world. It really is. Uh, now, I've talked about this CGI stuff they come up with now that's like, you know, basically a lie and impossible. But like Michael and Gabriel and all, all, all them hailstone throwers up there, Whooping all them ites. I want to see it. That is so cool. I'm, Craig, I'm not selling. I've got to do a better job selling. If I was selling tickets, I'd have to go bankrupt. Amen. But to me, that is, that is a rock upon which I can stand. Why? The Lord's got a good aim. And he can tag our problems, can he? You know what the problems were? All those ites were after Gibeon. And here comes Joshua. Here comes the man to help. And the Lord says, all right. I got them. Don't, don't worry. You're, you're running them real good, man. I'm telling you, they're on a route. Just pursue, pursue, pursue. You get them up my drop a whole mountain on half a, half a million of them suckers. Amen? That's a blessing. He'll always give you a rock to stand on, even if he's got to throw it. I'm saying your footing is sure as a Christian. Take faith in that. Notice what the Lord says here. He says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, He is the rock, capital R, that's, I'm sorry, Dwayne Johnson, you're not even close. He is the rock, the Bible says. His work is perfect. He doesn't miss. I mean, he's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, you know the cool part about that thing? The Bible says, and that rock was Christ. You know who was whooping all those uh, worldly nations? It was Jesus Christ. Splat! Yes! I'm telling you, he'll give you a rock to stand on. And in case you think I'm stretching it, the Bible says, let me give you this one here. In case you think I'm stretching it, Genesis chapter 49, 24, the Bible says, from thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. That's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming down to destroy the thing that was killing you and me. Well, let me give you another here. When you, when you ask for help, Joshua always gives you more light on the problem. When you ask for help, Joshua always gives you more help and more light on the problem. Look at verse 12 and 13. Bible says here, <clears throat> he says, Then spake Joshua the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. He said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed. Isn't that wild? That's a, that is a geological phenomenon, astronomical phenomenon. Never happened before, but you know what? 
It'll happen again. That's Habakkuk chapter 3 at the second advent. It'll happen again. All this stuff you see here is going to happen again at the second advent of Jesus Christ. But when the point is this, Christian, and the practical application, when you ask Joshua for help, when you ask Jesus for help, he'll always give you more light. You see it? Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You say, Preacher, I've got some trouble here. Have you opened the word of God lately? Have you got some light on the situation? Yeah, that's ridiculous, Preacher. I know it sounds, but the Bible says in Psalm 119, 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. When you ask him for help, he'll give you more light. When was the last time you sat down with your Bible open upon your lap and said, Lord, speak to me? Not audibly, but through your word. Lord, give me light. Show me what I'm missing. Lord, feed my very soul today. And just stop with the rigid And just take time with that book and let him give you the light. When you go to Joshua for help, he'll give you more light. But you've got to take the light that you've been given. Bible says in Psalm 18, 28, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Let me give you this one in closing here. When you ask for help and the Lord delivers you, you should never forget it. You should never forget it. I'm a fan of writing things down and, of course, losing where I wrote it down later. But still, nonetheless, I'm a fan for writing things down. If you can get together a little book or a a little notebook or something, just write down what God's done for you on a daily basis. You'll be so surprised. You'll be so impressed. You'll be so convicted how much God does for you. Man, just start writing it down. Stop forgetting. Why? We're frail. We're human beings. We're, we're mud. We're made out of the dust of the ground. Three days you should never forget the day of your birth and the day of your death. But the date that should shine forth as the sun should be when you trusted in the Savior's soul-cleansing, precious, redeeming blood. That should never forget it. Look what the Bible says here in verse 14 of our text. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Let me ask you this question, Saint. When God has helped you and God has delivered you, did you write it down? Can you go back to it and say, man, I tell you what, I had a problem with this and the Lord delivered me and here's the date. And I remember, and it's maybe, maybe a little bit smudgy, it looks like you put some mud on it because of the tears. There's not a day like it. When things between you and the Lord start clicking and they start making sense and you start remembering that, it will be a day like no other. One man I knew in the Christian life counted his victories by day and night. Moment by moment and hour by hour, he waxed valiant in fight through the Savior's power. But the moment he stopped counting sin's old grip is the day that my good friend just up and quit. You know why we quit? You know why we fail? Because we forget to make a big deal when the Lord helps us. We become unthankful. We forget what an honor it is to be his son. We forget what an honor it is to be his child. And we forget how good God has been to us over 
and over and over again. I'm telling you what, I need some help from Joshua. And so do you, if you're going to stand against this world. As we begin to close here this morning, I want to simply ask you, do you need some help, Christian? Since you've given your life to Jesus Christ, have you found the temptation just to lay low and remain neutral? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your eternity is fixed. But I hate to tell you, your present remains a continuous battlefield to the day you go home to glory. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to have to fight all the way to glory, and I am, I'd rather fight the world than the one who died for me. As the pianist comes this morning to play, why don't you start this week off just by asking the Lord for some help? Why not start your week off right? Lord, I'm coming before the throne of grace boldly, just like your word says, to find help in time of need. Lord, I need help. I just need a little bit of help today. If the Lord has spoken to you, you just obey. Just come speak to him.